Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and you know I'm here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, and I am here with this guest. This is someone who I reached out to. I read an article on Inc. Magazine, and they said yes. And so we are going to be speaking with the founder and CEO of Unruly Studios and talking not just about their product, which is amazing in itself, of trying to, to combine active play, recess-like, maneuvers and moving for kids along with coding and I think you're going to love checking out this product especially if you teach or work with young kids um, additionally we talk about the entrepreneurial world the mindsets and skills needed for kids to be able to be successful in life and so this is just another jam-packed conversation around so many amazing things and what I love about this one is that uh, she has spent her time in the business world in the entrepreneurial world and now as a founder and CEO of her own business and so we really get to dive into those conversations to figure out what does it mean for us as educators teaching in classrooms as always I hope that you love this podcast I hope that you take a screenshot of it share it with your friends spread the love on social media it's the best way to get this message out and it's the the, the greatest thing that you could do for me is I want this podcast to scale and grow and develop and reach as many educators as we can because in the end I do this not for the attention I do it to help because it's what I love all right everybody let's jump into episode 73 talking about unruly splats and if you don't know what that is you're about to find out woke up at six o'clock in the morning chilling with coffee mugs me and coffee chugs talking education all across the nation pushing boundaries thinking innovation Aaron Mauer outside the box thinker here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker living on the edge of chaos going insane listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring one of the top teachers in Iowa word is born here to show the world that there's more here than corn chaos Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Coffee Chug and I am here with another outstanding guest and I know you probably think at this point that's a, a broken record in this, but this is a guest um, that I am so excited about. I, I came across um, the work and, and her and, and everything that's going on through an article in Inc. Magazine and um, she, she responded and said yes, she, she would love to talk and so I am super excited to not only talk about the, the, the product, but also the journey of, of how things have come to be. So um, if we can start out, if you want to let the audience know kind of who you are and uh, what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm Brianne Leeming. I'm the founder and CEO of Unruly Studios. And what we do is we found a way to teach kids how to code ages 6 to 12 through active recess style play. So it gets kids exercise, it's much more social, and it's really, really fun. And that's what we do. And our first product is called Unruly Splats, which is a set of programmable electronic floor tiles. They are durable enough to be jumped on by kids and adults. So they get spread out around the room, and they're these light-up buttons that make sound as well, and they sense when you step on them or when you jump on them with two feet, whatever you want. So kids spread them out and they run back and forth between them. They play active games like relay races. We've done uh, whack-a-mole, big room arcade games type stuff. We've done dance routines and the sky is really the limit. And then obviously the coolest part is that through a tablet application and Bluetooth, they can code their own games for this system. So they use a typical, our language is based on Scratch 
Um, and so they drag and drop their code and are able to modify the rules and really make their own rules, which is why we're unruly. I love it. I love it. And just even when you're talking, I've got I've got so many questions. It's so great. So I, what what I want to know first, I also want to jump into your to your story, how you were able to create the product. But as you were talking, I love the idea of getting kids active with the coding and and, and the STEM world because I still think there's 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 a stigma, right, that we must just be plugged into a computer screen and we're just typing on the keyboard or just moving blocks on, on, on a tablet device. And so how did, it, how, did, how did that idea come to fruition? Because I love the idea of like, like the physical play, like the purposeful play, the movement, but yet we're still trying to expose kids to, to the foundations of, of problem solving through, through code. So how did the idea kind of come to fruition for you? Yeah, and thank you so much for saying that. So we started it based on, so I was really lucky that when I was eight years old at school, I went to a public school in New Hampshire, and I learned how to code at school playing this game called Microworlds. So it was an early precursor to Scratch, um, and I had no idea I was coding at the time, but I liked it. And then 10 years later, I went to college, and I took some computer science classes at McGill University up in Montreal and realized in those classes that it had really helped me that, that many years later, even just like that small exposure when I was eight. So I was hooked on the fact that that helped me in my career, it helped me later, I went into the tech industry in New York City, um, but I felt like the current ways to teach coding were exactly, they're very, like, you know, kids are sitting for hours at a time, they are sitting still, often alone, so the room is silent when like they're learning, and it's just like, oh man, so many kids don't learn that way, I certainly didn't learn that way, I was very social as a kid, and I need, I loved working in groups, and like, um, definitely moving, I've always been an athlete, I was a gymnast as a kid, and then later played ice hockey in high school, and um, a lot of the team that I've put together has both those passions of like, science, technology, but also being an athlete, so um, we're trying to merge the two, and really attract new kids into stem through that new way to play and so far it's been working our, our pilot in Somerville Massachusetts we were finding like the kids who signed up to come were totally different from the kids who normally sign up for the coding class like they just thought it looked fun they loved the relay race that we did the first day and then they were hooked so um, we're really finding that it's working yeah I love it I mean it's really such like a a backdoor approach to get kids involved because there is a there is a mindset. I mean, I see. I mean, I've got three children of of my own, and and I have my one son who I I think he'd be really good at it, and he just went through a coding course, and you know, and he just wasn't engaged. But he you know he was just sitting at, at the Chromebook, and that's it's not a knock to the system. I mean, it, that that's a pretty standard approach of working through these lessons, and I'm just like, no, dude, there's so much more, right? Like like this is in everything. Like you love football, like there's all the sensors that colleges and professional teams like. There's coding in everything, or you know, and, and so it's just like, how do we help them kind of see that? Uh, which I think it, think think it's, it's it's so important. And I love that because now these kids are being active, and now they want to like, well, how do I do this? And now now they have to learn how to code, right? So it's it, it it removes this fixed mindset that unfortunately so many people have, adults and and, and definitely kids. It's so true. And like the other side of the story is that their, you know, active play in general is down. Like over the last 40 years, active play has dropped 50% for kids. Um, and it's not for a lack of them liking to play like that. They love playing like that. Like if you get kids playing tag today, they still love it. It's just there's so much screen time. There's so much other things in their life that it's not happening as much. And so we're just trying to inspire it again because they do love these games. And even the, you, like, like classic play patterns that have been around forever, 
they're just, they're still really fun. So um, it allows for kids to create the rules really quickly too. They know all the rules, they know what they want to do. And that's a good motivator to code too, is yeah. build something for the real world that you're going to play with your friends or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah. And so uh, what, what I'm fascinated with, because you talked about how you were, you were able to do some coding with, with, with Microworld when you were eight years old. And I'm just thinking like, man, that's such a dime it does because, I mean, even now we're still trying to get schools to code, even though there's so many opportunities. I mean, even now it almost seems like there's so many. It almost kind of freezes you up where, um, and I'm, I'm getting old, but like it just wasn't that many opportunities. Like it wasn't even a thought to, to do some of that stuff. And so you started there, like... What's your journey where, like, was, I mean, that seems like it's a starting point, but how did you sustain, I guess, in that field as, as we start thinking about how the landscape's changing in terms of, like, entrepreneurship, and, and when we say, say STEM, it means something different to anybody, but decoding, and, and here you are with the business and all that, like, how, what, what, what kept you moving in that direction? Because I think your voice is, is so important, especially a female in this day and age for other females that go, you're just as equal in this world. This is not just a, this, this, you know, it, it's male dominated, but it's so much more than that. And we see so many more faces and advocates for this kind of, 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 of lifeline here going, you can do this. Um, so how did you I mean go from when you were you were eight to now CEO of, of Unruly? Like what was that journey that, that kind of kept you intrigued in, in, in this in this path? Well, yeah, that's such a such a great question. I mean, so having learned at eight, I really like feel like there was a ten year gap though in my I mean, I was doing well in school in math. I really liked math. Um, that was always a trend. But I had no idea. I didn't know even that engineering was a, a career. Like I didn't really know that, and wasn't really told that at school. And um, so when I went to school, went to college, I I ended up studying cognitive science, which was learning studies, and I was really intrigued by that. Like how do we learn? Um, how the brain works? And that's sort of how I fell into. Part of the major was to take a couple of computer science courses as a as a requirement and so that's sort of how I fell back into it and I realized wow like I really like this stuff I understand it better because of that early exposure um, it brought me to um, I later worked in product development actually for a year in the in the watch industry so it was a totally different industry but felt very technical um, they were handmade watches but kind of got to learn the process of building something new and and creating new you know product roadmaps and the next products we were going to put out and then um, sort of seeing that and then decided I really wanted to get back into the software like technology industry so worked in tech in New York City and from there wanted to go to get my MBA so I went to business school at Babson um, in outside of Boston where I had the initial idea for the product so that's sort of where the whole time I was I think I was thinking about it where I was managing tech projects at the tech startup and felt I had a really unique capability to communicate with the engineers and I really attribute that to my early exposure. Um, you know, I didn't take, I was never a developer, but I had this understanding and empathy for the, um, the people building the technology and how it was working from that level that I really feel like it put me ahead. And, um, and so I really want a lot, I, I think all kids should learn at least the basics because no matter if they're on the business side or they're in the art department, like in the music, you know, industry, like they're going to need to know it. Yeah. So yeah. Just 
just the basics. So yeah. you've got this unique perspective too, because you you've worked on the industry side and in some various roles. You're now you have a a product now that that works in classrooms, and so you kind of also get to to dabble in the classroom. And you talked about some of these schools that are using your product, and so as as you visit and and do stuff with classrooms, and you've also had your experience in the industry, what are some of those like like key skills or mindsets that you see that 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 we need to con- make sure that that, that we're, we're highlighting or bringing to light within within the classrooms. Um, and the reason that I ask that is I think so many times we we get in, in our education bubble we have all these best practices and all these people that tell us what's essential. Um, but then does it always translate to like I always say like the industry because many of us don't work in business, right? Like we've, we, we, we work in the classroom and we know kids and we know this and we're trying to tell you, this is what you need for that quote unquote real world. Um, right. which is, which is a pet peeve of mine because the kids are in the real world right now. Right. Yeah. So like, so <laughs> as, as if you kind of dabble back and forth, like what are some of those things you're like, I mean, and, and I think your product probably speaks to some of that already, which is why, why it's, it's so awesome. But where, where do you see some of that, that, that crossover happening in terms of like those ideas and mindsets and things? Absolutely. I mean, there's so many, I would say between like the worlds of entrepreneurship and coding or technology or even just like inventing and bringing something new to the world, I feel there's so much overlap. Um, And I think a lot of some, some part of it is resiliency and the willingness to kind of put something out that's not done yet and test it out and see what happens and then fix it. And that's very true with starting a business. And I think it's very true with with creating a new program with code. Um, it's like, it doesn't always work the first time. Like it always, there's always something you need to do a little differently or like you see it in action and then kids, this happens all the time. A kid last week made a game of red light, green light on the splats and she's showing her class and she's got a kid playing it. And in the middle of the game, she realized like it's too slow. And so she like goes back into the code and she made it um, run faster so that the kids would play and it would be a little bit more of an intriguing game. So it was seeing stuff like that. And um, it's really important for kids to learn to do that, like make that first draft, you know, and hey, that it's not perfect, especially girls. I think, um, and myself included as a kid, fell into this trap of becoming a little bit of a perfectionist. I was a gymnast at the time, so you can't blame me. Like, (laughs) being taught. You don't have a choice, do you? Yeah. (laughs) I think it's such an important lesson is to learn that, like, you've got to, you know, start somewhere and, like, get this draft out. And then um, with code, it's the exact same way. So as I'm building games even today in our program, like, I'm always – kind of trying to get the first little piece of the game out there and then I can add the rest later, but I need to get something working first and then add to it. So yeah. I think those are very good out overlaps. No. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great message. I know it's something that um, for anyone that listens or reads anything by Seth Godin, he's always talking about the idea of ship it, right? Just constantly be shipping out your ideas. And I think you're, you're, you're spot on with that. And so w- with that idea, like when I was looking up like your product and checking out your site and things, I saw like the, you highlight the, the versions of prototypes of how you're able to get to this, this kind of finished product. And I know there's always, it's never, nothing's ever finished, but I mean, you have a, a an amazing Kickstarter campaign now that you've got your website. But I saw that you started with a paper prototype, you moved into Makey Makey, and you moved into Arduino. And I know all the listeners right now are going, wait, I have those materials in my makerspace. Um, did, did he just say that? And so, yes, I did. And so I think that's so awesome that you you shared that kind of journey. Um, so I didn't know if you could dive into that a little bit. Like, how, how did that progression go where you, you had the idea and, like, you just – 
like you just said right there, you kind of prototype. You started with paper. You moved to the making, making Arduino. Because I think what's missing by a lot of administrators and leaders right now in, in the education spaces is they're not quite sure. They still just see makerspace as play, like, like like a glorified recess. And so, and we're trying to you know change that message. Like this is very real. Like yes, we're we're doing something with makey makey, but in your case, it could lead to an actual product that could really in our in your case is going to impact education and impact kids' lives. So. What was that journey like? And, and and just kind of speak on some of those if you could, because when I saw Makey Making Arduino, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I just ran a Makey Makey workshop last week. And I, you know, I was just like, this is so cool. Like it's actually led to an awesome yeah. product. So. Yeah, and I should add, before I even go into the story, but through this journey, I have been able to meet uh, with Jay Silver, the founder oh, of Makey Makey, awesome. one of the founders, and he has just been an incredible advisor and resource to us as we've been going. I had told him at the time, like, I have a Makey Makey prototype of what we're building, and, you know, so he's just been along for the journey as well, and just incredible. Um, you know, we've even, you know, we've done some events and stuff together, so, um, so looking at this so you had asked about the prototype process so basically i had this idea in business school of and it did really start with the words electronic playground i was like how do we build this so it's more like recess and playground but kids can still learn this coding technique and um and so um, I had this initial idea. I had no idea where to start. I didn't have an elect, you know, I had, I was not an engineer. So, um, started asking around. I actually did a three minute pitch to my class and, uh, just saying the idea. And what I had done at that point was just drawn it on PowerPoint. And I still have those images and they are really like stick figures. Like, I'm like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like and um <laughs> and then uh after that I ended up meeting up with a classmate who had some engineering background and and was able to point me in the right direction on some first steps I built the paper prototype which was um me going to CVS and buying some poster board and putting together and what I did is I took it I had a friend who um was a second grade teacher so I took it into her classroom after school I didn't want to take school time yet because I was very much just still testing out the idea and um, it was like about seven kids. She got me rounded up and we played a game. We did a memory game and all these things. And I was just pretending to be the computer. I was just flipping over the cards and making it interactive. But, um, you know, it was completely non-electronic. So that was sure. the first one. Took it from there. That was really successful. I was getting feedback from the kids already. So over the course of these, we've now done 23 iterations. We've tested with about 3,000 kids. So it's oh, wow. been really a process of learning and then doing a new prototype. And then and at that time, so then I I made the um, the huge wooden prototype that I made at a local makerspace in Boston called the Artisans Asylum. So I made a frame for it out of wood with my husband from Home Depot and then went to the Artisan's Asylum on they had these free hacker nights and I learned how to solder so I could put together this string of LEDs that I wanted to have um, around the prototype. And then I connected it to an Arduino and learned from some people there how to use that. Um, definitely, you know, just to be able to program the lights and we had created this thing, we brought it out to some YMCA programs and things like that. And then I needed to test the gameplay and I was not as good at um, coding Arduino. So it was kind of hard for me to, you know, get that moving quickly. But I found the Makey Makey product and realized that if I connected it the right way to some Play-Doh, we could test out a game of Simon Says 
on your feet with the product. So I did that at that point. So I was sort of doing multiple prototypes at once. Some were works like, some were more um, looks like, and then I even made some that just totally were not electronic at all, but looked really nice. Um, and so I was bringing these out to maker fairs and places like that. We started getting um, parents who came up to us, parents and teachers with credit cards at uh, <laughs> fairs. And this was for a product that was still not even built yet. Like there was only one of them. It was the prototype we had with us. And so I was like, well, that's a good sign. Like the, the people really want this. And um, and so that's when we, we started to, I worked with an engineer in Boston who was out of um, Olin College here, who I connected with very early on in this stage. And so through him and then another engineer who's from iRobot, was able to build the first fully functioning prototype that linked to scratch extensions. So we were taking it step by step a little bit further into a closer to final. And that it and still at that point, it didn't look like a product. It was very much like a, it actually looked like an iPad on the ground, which was a problem because <laughs> parents thought we were teaching their kids to jump on uh, iPads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that prototype taught us that we couldn't make it black and look like a screen. We had to change it, which now it's white and blue. Um, <laughs> so all along the way, we've learned a lot. And then um, the the next step was bringing on this uh, my co-founder, Dave Kunitz, who is from Hasbro and Mattel, and was able to take this like functioning experience we had built that we knew worked, connected to a kid's language. We knew the play patterns were working really well, and kids loved it and then build it into a manufacturable product. And that's where we're at now is what we've done is when that's around when we launched the Kickstarter and then we've gone through the manufacturing stage and we're now um, this morning receiving our first units in the mail Sweet. from manufacturing run. So yeah. How exciting, how exciting. Yeah. That's so cool. And so as you went through your 23 iterations and you're getting this feedback and you're working through and finding out, oh, we need to fix this or you know, it can't look like an iPad. I mean, all those things. <laughs> How did you and, and your team deal with, like, whether we call it failure or the word no or setbacks? I mean, because I think so many of us just we get that first no or we, we, we have an idea and it doesn't work or it's not how we envision in our head. And after, like, the second or third time, we just go, oh, maybe I'm not good enough or it's not worth it. You know, and we just kind of scrap it and move on. And so what's been, like, your, your strategies or how have you been able to continue to progress? I mean, one, I know you're, you're, you're extremely passionate about the idea, so that definitely helps. Um, but I also know it's so easy for so many of us to throw in a towel, and especially um, when we help kids, you know, like, how do we get them to – get beyond just, yeah, this is fun for 10 minutes, but now I have this new idea that's a little bit harder and, and oh, I don't want to do that anymore, you know? Um, right. So how have you been able to endure to get to this point where now you're getting your, your, your first shipment here to, uh, this morning? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. There's, I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy for sure. There are a lot of ups and downs to the, the process of, like, inventing something new and on the process of starting a company. Um, so calling it a roller coaster is what I've heard before. It's like there's an up and then there's a down and you gotta like, just be used to, I, I know one of my advisors early on had told me also like not to let those ups and downs, like not to kind of fall into the ups and down swings. Like if there's an up, great, celebrate for an hour and then give back to work. And if there's a down, okay, like, you know, be sad for an hour and then get back to work. And then, so it's like this sort of, 
And I also kind of refer to it as like an air of inevitability where we've just sort of kept moving the whole time. And that has allowed us to attract the team that we've put together. Like the team has experience from um, Nickelodeon and Disney and Hasbro and Mattel now. And so sort of like just continuing to move forward, we've pulled together this team. Um, we are at this stage where it's just sort of inevitable. Like that's how I like to think about it is like, even if we get this no, it's like, okay, we'll just go the other direction and then we'll keep going there. And like, so it's yeah. very, is very much about your your attitude as well, um, being optimistic, kind of finding what we need and, and trying to stay focused as well um, is a big part of it. But yeah, I think it's, it's really, you know, not taking any no's personally as well. I mean, it's just the world. It's not, uh, it's not anything to do with you or your team or anything like that. So I think it's important to, but it isn't such an important lesson for kids to learn no and to learn failure. And that's like one thing we've designed into the product as well is we have a lot of games that are a little competitive and that's okay with us. Like we think it's okay. Like kids need to learn that. They learn how to win. They learn how to lose and that's okay too. Um, I think it's really important though for kids to learn those lessons young and get that just bouncing back. Like, okay, I lost. Like, that's okay. Like I'll, we have another game tomorrow. Like we'll go back on the field and yeah. <laughs> so from sports too I mean there's so much that you learn from practicing whether it was like for me gymnastics as a kid but then team sports and high school and ice hockey it's just like you fall down you get back up like right yeah there, yeah there's so many of those, those life lessons that are just you know it's not just about trying to be successful in school or be successful in a product launch I mean these are things that we'll continue to deal with whether it's in our professional lives or our personal lives it's, it's just constantly you know we're problem solving every day I always tell people you know as soon as you solve problem A then there's problem B that's sitting right on the hinges ready for you to go solve like you know that's just what life is about you know not just sitting there and giving up but realizing you knock one out there's, there's another great opportunity to go go use the skills that, that, that we've been we have and that we've been blessed enough to uh, acquire over time. And so you've, you've talked a little bit about referencing a lot of different ways in which people have used your product um, as you've been testing it out in some schools or access, access it. So um, we'll make sure we have all the links to, to the link and to the product and your website all, all in the show notes and all that. But, but could you share some, some maybe expand on some of those stories in terms of, so people are listening in, they're hearing your amazing journey. You're giving so many awesome nuggets of wisdom and they're like, man, I got to check this out because I think that the, the market for, especially like younger kids, you know, is, um, this is, this is a, a perfect opportunity because a lot of the things are geared for like upper elementary or secondary and it's like, but what do we do to get them going? And so how have some schools used your product or, or like some case studies or things like that, that people could be like, Oh, I never thought about, you know, <laughs> that, that way, because I'm sure a lot listening in, this is, might be the first time that they, they, they've heard of it. So, um, how have some of those schools been able to utilize the, the, this awesome product? Well, one exciting way, which I think was a surprise for us when we first started out, is that the gym classes have been bringing it in to gym class. And that's been exciting because like that, you know, tech is not normally paired with gym class. And this is a first time thing. And so um, we've had almost every school we've been in, the gym teacher has been interested in bringing it into class. So whether it's the kids creating games in a normal, say, science or math class, and then bringing those games into gym and seeing what they're like to play or watching other kids play your games is exciting. Um, we've had also some interesting uh, things happen when we've worked with, say, sixth grade classroom. And one of the students created a game that he made for, for a preschooler to play. So what an interesting you know, opportunity for this kid to sort of design for a different audience than yeah. himself. 
peers. He was designing for preschool. And so he made the splats. He like preloaded them with a bunch of animal sounds and colors. And he started to, he was using it to teach kids colors, numbers, animal sounds. And it was just an amazing game that he created. It spent a couple, probably four hours on it over time, preloading and getting it all the way he wanted it and then um, showed the class. And I think the showcase part of the product is really exciting too, because it is a physical product and tangible. It's very easy to show what you've done with the yeah, class and right. love doing that. Um, they've brought it, trying to think what else they've done. Uh, some hide and seek games we did in the library at one point where they were hiding the splats around the library <laughs> and having them make certain sounds to be able to come find them. Um, and we're even working with some, the, uh, we had a, a girl create a voting machine that was vote for your favorite and you were voting with your feet. So she had the whole class line up and vote and it was whether you like the beach or the pool better. And the pool won with this fifth grade class that did that one. Um, but, you know, so kind of like bringing it outside the box of what we present. Kids have come up with all these really amazing games. And a lot of them are based on classic games like rock, paper, scissors or Foursquare or a relay race. But then they kind of put a new twist on it by adding the more, you know, electronics and sounds and creating whatever sounds they want to put in. So those are some interesting use cases we've seen so far. And actually, one of the one of our pilots reached out the other day and said he was like, "I was talking to the dance teacher, and we're gonna start to do, you know, like we're." Oh it's, yeah. It's amazing to see what's happened because we always designed it to be kind of it's supposed to be personally relevant to the kids who use it. So it's supposed to make a motivate. That's why you're able to make music on it. We put all these instruments in it and you're able to make art animations and you're able to make sports games because it's durable and stuff like that. So uh, it's been really neat to see how it's gone into a school and where it spreads to because they brought it into a social studies class. They've, you know, me, you, like you can use it as a jeopardy buzzer for history facts. And like, oh, we, yeah. you know, these things we didn't really see in the beginning, but the teachers have really helped to pull it out of the product. So having the dance teachers see it now, they're going to do a dance thing with it. And like, we're so excited to see what they do. Um, so that's been exciting. I think very interdisciplinary. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing when, when you just let the, the educators just figure it out for themselves. Like when they have the, when they have the autonomy to use their skills as professionals with kids it's amazing how they can take you know an object like like, like, like like the tiles that you've created and see in a whole different way and you're like oh my gosh I had no idea you know I mean it's like when you in any of these other communities even like like, like the makey makey when there's like a, a teacher will share a product I'm like gosh that's so smart like how like how did I not think of that myself you know it's just it's yeah. so cool what people do if you just give them the freedom and the opportunity and, and, and as well as students and originally when we had the first prototype my original idea I, we were going to make the games like the unruly was going to make the games like nintendo you know like we're right. going to put out games and and that'll be how we become a company and um bringing it out to kids for the very first time that i ever did i realized like that is totally wrong like the kids <laughs> have better ideas than i do for the games that go on this thing so we're going to just like open it to them and let them share what they're doing and um, you know, really like kind of model it on more like how Scratch has done things and get more open and sure. and 
form for the kids to create instead of us making the game. Cause like, they're never going to be as fun as what kids make. They right. make like, we made whack-a-mole and the kid made like radioactive whack-a-mole. And then it was like, <laughs> oh my God, it's so much better that way. <laughs> like so, That kind of stuff we're trying to like really design for. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And so one of the questions that I've been asking all my guests um, as of lately, I heard this question on uh, the Cools Tools podcast, which I always love to go, uh, which I need to quit listening to that podcast. I always end up buying all these things that I don't need. But one guest was asked, um, what is your spirit tool? So kind of like, what's your spirit animal? But in in terms of that, like your spirit tool, um, in the realm of, in in the work that you do, like what's that tool? um, And it could be what we're making or just in your, however you want to answer it, that you just can't live without. Not to put you on the spot here. It's a tough question. I know it's a a good one though. (laughs) I mean, the one that came to my mind first was like a pencil actually. I take, handwritten notes for most of what I do and it's not that I usually refer back to them but I just feel like if I write it down I remember it or I start to doodle and then I come up with other ideas and so I'm like constantly using a pen and paper it's really not the most (laughs) environmentally friendly way to do things but um, it's definitely been my tool of choice like I I always prefer to write things down um yeah. So I so you mentioned pencils. So now I have a really nerdy question to ask as a follow up. And and do you have a do you have a personal preference for pencil? Because there are some people who, if they do mention pencils, you know, like I know, like I'm I'm diehard. Like I have a certain kind of pencil that I like to have. So or do you just use any pencil that that's around? Because some people are very picky about their pens and pencils. Right. So. I mean, my preference <laughs> pencils, I don't like the uh, mechanical ones. Yeah, I really, yeah. you know, those are hard. So I like the, the ones that you sharpen. And I have like a little sharpener. Like, but I mean, lately I've had a lot more pens, actually. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Complete <laughs> but, nerd, yeah, complete nerd question I had to ask. So. Yes. <laughs> so as we go to wrap this up, is there anything else that you want to share? Any ideas or, or, or anything else that you want to mention that we didn't bring into the podcast to the question that you want to make sure that the listeners um, get a chance to, to be able to absorb? You shared so many amazing things, um, but I want to make sure that we don't leave anything out that, that you, that you want, to, want to bring to the table. I think we covered everything. The only last thing I would say is that the first run that we did, we are delivering to our Kickstarter backers, but we did make some extra splats for this fall. So um, if people are interested in getting their hands on the very first round of splats, they're available and um, probably won't be for too much longer because we're getting uh, the sales are going quickly. So um, so definitely check us out on unrulysplats.com. And you can order right from there. You can also speak with us if you're coming from a school because we can definitely work around how your school buys products and work with you on that. But, um, but yeah, that's like the new, the new news. Yeah, that's so exciting. Well, I can't thank you enough for uh, carving out some time to uh, talk with me today. And for those listening in, we will have in the show notes links to everything that you want to know if you want to reach out to Unruly and, and anything mentioned in the podcast. Um, if, if, if you've been listening to the podcast for any time, you know it's all going to be, be loaded in there. So I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. This has been absolutely phenomenal. And I can't wait to uh, hear what teachers and everybody else start to do with your product. And I hope that it, it, it sells like hotcakes. And I wish you the the best of success. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was yeah. really great to be here. I'm so excited what you're doing and spreading this word about maker spaces and STEM to the world. So awesome. very excited. Thank here. you.